0: hello and welcome to cody and corbin have a podcast the show where two former roommates talk
1: about the killer i find music a useful distraction a focus tool keeps the inner voice from wandering
0: And David Fincher. It's the holiday season, and we're getting icy, distant, and cynical as we talk about David Fincher's latest film. As always, I'm your host, Corbin's a Vocal, and joining me is my co host, a guy who
1: never misses his shots. It's Cody Webb. Cody, what's going on? It's going great, man. Very excited to be here. Hey, man, if the theme is icy uh, and cynical, this is the perfect pod for me so i'm excited i think this should be a really fun one
0: yeah we're not really doing a, a christmas episode or like a, a holiday themed episode this year so much so this is the closest we're getting we're uh <laughs> we're feeling the ice of, of david fincher's latest hit main genre picture
1: it's hard to do I mean, it's hard to top what we did last year i think for our christmas theme so okay. i say we don't even touch it let it run but I think this episode will make up for it, regardless. But yeah, should be fun. Why? Why me?
0: Why did you pick me? I did pick this one today, Cody. Um, and yeah, the main the main thing was I saw you hating. I saw you give this movie like a two and a half star on Letterbox. I think you were like, <laughs> "This shit sucks. It's terrible." No, not really. But you definitely didn't seem to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, so I kind of wanted to just, you know. I think that always breeds, you know, positive discussion on this podcast when we both kind of disagree about the movie. And also like, it's one that genuinely, since I've uh, watched it, I have sought out, you know, other people's thoughts on it. I've tried to do some reading. I've tried to listen to, you know, a lot of different people's thoughts and opinions, because I think there is so much that you can kind of get into and glean from the movie. And it really is a lot deeper. And there's a lot more to it than just like the surface level, um, you know, it's a hitman movie with Michael Fassbender, right? Um, so I think there's a ton that we can talk about here today. It is the, uh, it's the end of the year. It's another chance for us to talk about a, a 2023 film. And uh, I think this is one that is is in my top 10 at the very least. And uh, I really want to talk about
1: it. I think it's a great pick. Like you said too, I think it's, it's definitely a, a little bit better content when we don't completely agree on it. I believe my uh, letterbox rating was, a three star, uh, not a two and a half. <laughs> so I think I up. think you moved it up on the rewatch. That's
0: my, that's <laughs> what I think. This was I don't,
1: uh, maybe like my, my initial, initial reaction was that, but basically I quoted as being boring, I believe. But yeah, you said it was, it was like John Wick, but boring. I mean, that's facts, but I, I mean, any D- David Fincher movie, I feel like there is a lot more like below the surface. So it's definitely going to be a good one to like deep dive into, I think a little bit. So I like to pick a lot. Yeah. And uh, of course, Our very first episode that we ever did,
0: Cody, uh, almost three years ago now, uh, was on a David Fincher movie, and we have not returned to him since then. Uh, I can say over on uh, MK300, we did a little Benjamin Button watch and talk that will be coming out in correlation with this episode as well. Uh, (laughs) So get prepared for that for a little double feature on the feed. But that's amazing. I I wanted uh, a chance to return to him. I would say he's probably my favorite director at The Social Network in particular. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm sure at some point we will talk about it on this podcast. But I think it's always a joy to see a, a new Fincher movie
1: hundred percent. I mean, that's kind of the reason too. I think I was maybe just a little disappointed because it's a new Fincher movie. Like how can you not have high expectations for it? Like you said, I don't know how we haven't done the social network, but it'll definitely come up eventually. And um, I've actually never seen uh, the curious case of Benjamin button. I was thinking like this episode kind of inspired me. I think I'm going to do like a a Fincher binge of some of the movies I haven't seen. Uh, Like the girl with the dragon tattoo. I've been wanting to check out as well for a while. So I'll have to get, jump on the uh, Benjamin Button train and uh, and give my thoughts too. But that should be a really fun episode. I know, um, I believe you've seen that movie. I think you've seen that movie before and you didn't like it, right? So that should be a fun one. It's uh, it's a complicated one. It's, it's a, a complicated one for yeah. sure. Yeah, there's, a, there's
0: some really incredible things about it. And there's a lot of, uh, it is very different from the vast majority of uh, David Fincher's other work. Uh, but also you know similar in a lot of ways and, and we get into that and uh we'll talk a little bit about some of the narration that he likes to use uh
1: later in this episode with
0: with this movie as well so
1: <laughs> brutal i am excited for that episode so obviously stay tuned but yeah shout out the finchman uh, i'm a big fan but i may rag on this movie a little bit so beware cody do you remember the first time you watched it do you remember break it down for us i Open do it On netflix <laughs> Yeah. So unfortunately, I did not see this movie in theaters. I was thinking that it'd have a a much wider release because it was like uh, out in selective theaters. It wasn't really in like the AMC or the Regal that I usually go to, but it was in this other theater that's sort of close to me. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'll just catch it next week in like AMC or something. And then I checked the next week and it's off all the theaters. So I was like, what the hell? I'll obviously just check it out on Netflix. I've had this weird debacle too. I've talked about this a little bit in the past where. I kind of use my brother's Netflix um to watch stuff. But with the whole password change thing, they've kind of had it back and forth where sometimes it works for me and sometimes it doesn't. So basically, um, last week, it did work one day and I watched it off his Netflix. Nice. And um, my initial reaction we'll get into, but I actually did watch it again um, yesterday. And sad times here, Corbin, I did actually purchase Netflix for myself. Oh. So... I do have my own account now, it is very sad. But the second watch, I did enjoy it a little bit more. I think there's a lot more stuff you can go into the details and stuff, but I'm a little bit mad. I definitely would have preferred to see this on the big screen and I believe obviously you did. So I'm a little bit jealous, but I would say a second watch it was definitely a little bit more positive than the first for me. I did
0: get to go see this in theaters.
1: Uh, it opened
0: October 27th, like you said, in select theaters, uh, limited release. I saw it the 29th on the Sunday with Mina. Went to the Alamo Draft House. It it also wasn't showing like an AMC's in New York either. Um, I think you could go to the theater that Netflix owns, the Paris Theater or like the Alamos to to go see The Killer. Um, But I was really glad I got to go see it. And then I did rewatch it as well yesterday uh, uh, prior to this. And and it's funny because when the Netflix password sharing thing happened, I kind of just like stopped getting on Netflix because I was like, I don't even want to mess with it. But in this last week, this movie and then like one other thing I really wanted to watch um, in relation to this Prometheus, because I wanted to do a little Michael Fassbender background was on Netflix. And I was like, I'm just screw it. I'm just going to try and get into my parents Netflix and it's working. So, so I've, I've been, now I've been like, oh, man, I kind of have missed Netflix. There's actually a lot of things that have been added recently. Um, one of the things that's been happening in streaming is like this mass like selling off of properties to Netflix just to try and like boost The value of it because having it on your own streaming service isn't that valuable like all the fucking you know warner brother dc superhero movies are on there godzilla versus kong there's there's so much on netflix that doesn't
1: belong to them disney stuff it's crazy there's a ton of max content that kind of got transitioned this month and there's a lot of little stuff that i've been wanting to watch on there for a while too like um scott pilgrim versus the world shit there's that barry keoghan movie um sacred of a killing deer that i've been wanting to watch for a while
0: Oh, They've learned right. like,
1: yeah, decent, like little movies that are kind of on my list. So I, I finally caved in and, and I bought the subscription. So if you want Corbin, you can actually borrow mine instead of a... Uh, we'll see her. if my
0: parents' one kicks me out. <laughs> I will be back at their house this, <laughs> this weekend. Oh, I'll you. be able to, you know, on the Wi-Fi using it properly. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a, a good selection of, of movies that since the last time I've been on there that I want to check out. So and in the movie I drafted Leave the World Behind, which has received a lot of mixed reviews, uh recently premiered. So I gotta check that one out. Let's uh, get into our initial thoughts. Good
1: morning, Vietnam! So initially here I kind of just wanted to go into like the overall plot breakdown, just because and again, obviously, spoiler to spoiler alert off the bat here. If you haven't seen the killer, obviously go check it out first, but In a sense, for me, my kind of overall point here is I feel like I've seen this movie before a little bit. But um, first off, too, I mean, I don't really know if I like the strategy of like starting off the first 15 minutes of just like straight voiceover. Obviously, it's just like character building, which is super important, I feel like, in the first act of a lot of movies. But the way they do it is just like it's you're literally listening to like Michael Fassbender's thoughts, supposedly. But for some reason, he's thinking about like the deep philosophical thoughts of like his <laughs> everyday life. So I feel like it's kind of going back and forth, of just like exposition dumping and then just narrating like his day to day life. But I don't really like it. If I'm being honest, I think uh, narration in general, and I've said this before, is pretty lazy, if I'm being honest. And yet it's <laughs> that's kind of just boring. I hate to use the B word off the bat here. But I'm not really a fan of the opening. But I do want to hear your thoughts on kind of like narration and in, in that role in the story here.
0: In the uh, IMDb Trivia Facts, it says it's 27 minutes until any direct dialogue is spoken. Prior to that, only uh, the killer's narration is heard. Uh, if you're counting face-to-face dialogue, you do hear him talking on the phone for a little bit. But the it's 27 killer. minutes until yeah. he's actually like has a real face-to-face face conversation in this movie. And this movie is very much about this idea of uh, disconnection and the way our society and, uh, you know, modern capitalism, the way that we consume things and the way that technology has put us in this place to where we very rarely have to interact in anything we do. Um, So I think the narration really fits with that. We're stuck inside this guy's head. It's less about the relationships he has. And then of course, as the movie progresses, I think there is some pretty interesting conversations that he has with people, you know, between Charles Parnell's character and Tilda Sutton's characters. Like there's these moments of of one-on-one interactions where we get some actual dialogue spoken. Uh, Maybe they're one-sided conversations at times uh, in both directions. But the thing about the narration, And I'll talk about this in the Benjamin Button episode as well, because there is a lot of narration in that. Um, It's something that Fincher utilizes a lot in his movies. The thing about the narrators is you can never trust them. They're always unreliable narrators, thinking of like Fight Club. The fucking narrator of that movie uh, is making up another character. Brad Pitt isn't real, right? Like spoiler alert for like you're literally this this whole time you're you're in the narrator's point of view and you believe everything they're telling you, and then you find out at the end it's actually all been a lie. None of this has been really happening. Dawn Girl, what is the the Diaries of Amy Dunne? Uh, that that girl is lying. I hate to tell you, Cody, but she was not telling the truth. You know, but it's the thing. It's like you're uh, in the shoes of the as the person watching, you trust our subject, right? You want to believe the person who's telling you all these things. Benjamin Button, it's also very, maybe it's not as much about lying, but it is from a particular point of view. So I think the way he uses narrator narration, while yes, it is a crutch, I agree with you, Cody, it's also always uh, utilized in a in a, an important story and character building way.
1: I agree. I mean, it's Fincher, obviously. He's doing it for a reason. It's not just there to be there in a sense. And I do like the commentary, especially on like, technology and that's definitely one of my positives is just like the ultra realism sort of take on this movie um shout out amazing amy as well uh throwback <laughs> to cody versus i would 100 percent still lose that past that so moving past narration going back to kind of the, the mini plot breakdown um shout out to your background here but obviously he kind of you know messes up big time here we and it's sort- chapter by chapter <laughs> Look, <Cody. laughs> i guess sort of but i mean the one of the most memorable scenes for me here is like him accidentally shooting this girl it's it's in the butt if we're being honest I mean that's where he hits her, right um yeah right there. <laughs> but <laughs> that specific moment like that encapsulated me pretty well. I was pretty hooked at that moment but after that, I feel like it just slows down um continuously and also too like he was camped out there all week and he still messed it up somehow, which I think is pretty funny but then obviously he kind of works his way home. He's super paranoid, uh, which is very fair, uh, trying to make his way home. And then when eventually he does get to the DR, Dominican Republic, which is obviously kind of his hideout. He comes home and his his girls all busted up, obviously. So he's like, hey, F it. I'm going to go John Wick on these fools. And then the revenge story, it's, it's that's uh, that's classic. the movie. Yeah. I mean, that's the movie in a sense. He goes through, kind of winds his ways, finds the side characters who were kind of just there finds the main players, eventually works his way all the way to the top. And he, he kills everybody along the way, which I feel like is not really a spoiler since obviously the title here is The Killer. But I don't really understand half the kills. And we can get into this a lot later, but the ending as well, where he finally gets to the big wig client who kind of put the hit on this guy originally and then also had back taxes insurance on it to where if it messed up, you know uh, something would happen as well. And then for some reason, he doesn't kill the guy at the end which I would obviously love to hear your thoughts on. But I think just pacing wise, it gets really slow after this initial scene. It kind of just grinds to a halt until we get get to each of those side characters sort of mini conversations or mini fights, which I think all of those are fairly interesting. But I feel like all of those combined probably come in around like a half hour. And then we have like the first 15 minutes. So I feel like an hour of this movie is something that I probably would enjoy. But everything else is kind of just back to that ultra realism of, oh, he's waiting around for the right moment. Like, I give that. There's a that, lot of but it's Fassbender also sitting as and, and watching
0: <laughs> and waiting. And yeah. that, I think, is in kind of a little bit of the brilliance of this movie and, like, what it's about, right? It's, it's uh, very self-reflective. Uh, this year in movies, and I, I'm still trying to, to do a lot of thinking about this. I'm trying to process it right now, but I think this year in movies has been really interesting um, in the ways that things are like in conversation with each other, and how um, you have a lot of older directors. And I know maybe we don't think about Fincher as like an older director, but he is. He's you know in his sixties. He's he's been in the game for now thirty years. Uh, we have older directors, guys like Scorsese and you know like how Miyazaki making movies that you know are their last films or at the end of their careers that feel very reflective they're putting themselves into it you think about the ending. The ending of Kellers of the Flower Moon and the way that that, you know, Martin Scorsese really like the epilogue of that is him looking into the camera and saying this is what it's all about. This is what my career has been about. This is the story I'm trying to tell here. Um, And if he died tomorrow, I think he would be content with that being like a final work. And, you know, The Boy and the Heron is also this extremely self-reflective work with a ton wrapped up in it. Um, and then you have so many other things working in conversation. You have movies like Oppenheimer and, and Godzilla, and also the boy in the hair and all commenting on like this very specific time in world war II. Um, you have other world war II movies like the zone of interest, which is really focused on like what you do and don't show, which also goes back to Oppenheimer and what you do and don't show the the power of the violence and the the horror of the human uh, condition. And then you have stuff like Barbie and in poor things, which are so much about like this, uh, female experience and this like re-enlightening of like becoming a new person and what does that mean and stepping out into the world and finding who you are. I think there's so much going on and I think this movie fits in really perfectly, especially in that idea of like guys looking back at their career directors looking back at what they've created and putting themselves into the movie and telling a story about themselves. I feel like there's a lot of ways you can interpret this, but one of them is definitely David Fincher is this guy. He's this neurotic self-obsessed insane guy who, who says you have to sit and you have to wait for the right moment. You have to get the proper shot. You have to, as a director, you have to be patient. You have to, this is not a job for the the faint of heart, the, the weak, you, you have to have patience to do this. It's very much, I'm a director sitting here waiting for the shot, trying to get it exactly right. And then what happens if you fuck up and you miss the shot, right? And everything comes crashing down. And uh, I, I think it really looks at, you know, his career, how things could have gone differently. Um, in the first half of the movie and then there's also a ton of other interesting stuff about you know capitalism consumerism the commodification of human interaction like I talked about um, that feels very reflective of things early in his career in Fight Club so I just think this this movie is is a lot deeper than just like David Fincher a movie about a guy a killer right like there there is so much more that he's trying to say and also on top of that like I think every department is working at a, a very high degree cinematography is incredible. There's some scenes, you know, where they cut to using handheld stuff at different points to kind of show the emotion and the the turbulence that the lead character has also the fight choreography that scene about an hour and 15 into the movie is incredible. It's one of my favorite you know, sequences of the entire year. There's some incredible VFX work. That's like, to the point of it's just so well hidden and integrated that it's not flashy, but it's, mesmerizing and it's showing some stuff that like you just couldn't do otherwise. And that's the way uh, David Fincher likes to do it. That's all just incredibly well written. It moves along, I think, at a very interesting pace. Yes, maybe he's not talking all the time, but there's scenes of him doing things early in the movie. And then you figure out why he does them later. And I think it's really building upon and iterating upon that fact. I think it's really unfortunate that you didn't get to see this movie in theaters because it's one where if you're locked into a theater and you're forced to pay attention, you can see so much that's happened.
1: I mean, I agree with much, most of what you're saying on Fincher in general. I think this is a very, very well-directed movie. I don't think David Fincher really makes movies that aren't kind of well-directed. And I agree too. you. There's a lot of small details. I feel like if you continuously watch this, it's one of those where you'll kind of see something different in um, every viewing. Uh, my second watch, I picked up like a detail I didn't even notice where like um, he's ordering like a FedEx package And then obviously that's like what he uses to help to break into like the lawyer's office. I'm like, Oh, that's dope. I didn't even notice that the first time, like that's a cool little detail where he's just doing something random, but it is kind of important in the long-term scheme of things. But again, I think the acting too is, is really, really good. Fastbender's amazing. All the side characters, even though they don't have too much screen time, I think are very good as well. And like you said, I mean, the visual direction Fincher's not going to put a shot in this movie that he doesn't think is perfect. Uh, same with the cinematography everybody behind the camera i agree i think it's working at the highest degree eric meserschmidt shout out to him the
0: cinematographer of this movie
1: i mean this stuff is not easy man they make it look ridiculously easy also like the sound design sound editing the whole headphones uh, from his point of view and then moving into just shots of him like that sort of sound design is really cool like you said too, that that one fight with the samoan dude is unbelievable sound design as well and choreography um, my issue with this movie—it's not with any of that. It's 100% with the story. Again, like you said, there's definitely deeper stuff. If if you want to delve that deep, you're always—I feel like you always bring up like, oh, the director. The director is the main character of this movie, which I mean, that's fine. But for me, it's just like I don't know. The story didn't grip me as much as his other movies, and it's just like not unique by any means at all. I feel like I've seen this story a million times. You're right. It's definitely giving a different commentary on it. But it's not something like that knocked my socks off, especially with like this main character who doesn't really talk much. He kind of just sits around, like you said, and waits for his moment. And then when we do get side characters, I feel like they really pop because they're carrying the conversation. Um, But like all of his interactions, I still didn't find that interesting because he doesn't have any anything to really just say back. But again, it's it's more of like a writing for the character, I think, in a sense. Again, this is a really, really like well-made movie. I, I just don't love it, if I'm being honest. It, it's kind of in that middle tier for me. Of like, it's good, but like, it's not on my list that I need to watch it again right away. I hope we can get you higher up, Cody. There's still time. <laughs> the, the episode has uh, another hour to go.
0: I'm sure we Fair can enough. we can get you there. Uh, the quote <laughs> I was looking for: "If you're unable to endure boredom, this work is not for you." That's what mm-hmm. he says at the beginning. So. Interesting. I, I agree with you though, Cody. The uh, the supporting characters really do get a chance to pop in those surrounding moments. I think. This is kind of uh, like Fincher doing a bit of like a Soderbergh thing, but the problem, you know, like Soderbergh does like these one-off genre movies, you could see him doing like a Hitman thing like this with a lot of similar themes about like capitalism and everything. And and also Soderbergh, I know, like was involved in like watching, you know, cuts of this movie and helping Fincher and he's always, you know, they're, they're friends and collaborators, and, you know, they see their each other's work early on. But The thing is, Soderbergh puts out, like, maybe three of these in a year or, like, two of these in a year, whereas, like, Fincher's doing, like, one movie every three, four years. He's very exacting. He's very neurotic about everything, and I think that's where the similarities between him and the the main character really exist, is that, like, precision, that interest in, in detail is so high. IMDb known for... do I know you? I mean, where do I know you from? Cody, let's talk about him. David Fincher, the director. His four... And I just wanted to say this, since we don't do roll credits anymore, Cody, the opening credit to this movie, sick, just uh, electric stuff. I don't know if you recall them very well, but (laughs) I do really fun. You know, the music, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, obviously cooking as always, but uh, sick opening credit sequence, highlighting everybody in the movie. David Fincher's four, seven, Zodiac, Gone Girl, The Social Network. What do you think? Are these the four that should be on there? i think this is definitely good
1: for. okay i think I, the the one missing i think is fight club obviously but i mean he, he's made so many good movies it's hard to be like oh these are his top four 100 like i agree with this list i think seven the social network those are locked for me um personally i don't love zodiac i think definitely not as much as you or as a lot of other people i would probably replace it with fight club but I mean, other than that, I feel like this list is fairly spot on. So shout out IMDB for not getting it terribly wrong for once. And I like Gone Girl. I like that inclusion as well. So I agree mostly with this list. I'd probably just uh, do one little uh, replacement.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's got three of my four favorites uh, on there, so I can definitely back it. I'm not... uh, Gone Girl, I I think, is probably his most commercially successful one. So I And obviously, we did an episode on it, so I can't complain about it being in there. (laughs) But so I think this four makes sense for him. I think Benjamin
1: Button should have been on
0: there. No, no, no. I like the girl with the dragon tattoo as as a movie. But there's no way that they could put that as his four. It's just uh, (laughs) much too harsh. That's like at his darkest. I would say seven also a very fucked up movie. Um, Oh yeah, but yeah the, these four there's really not much to complain about here you could uh throw in some of like the tv stuff if you want to you know, go house of cards or even you know Mindhunter. as yeah. just like the contributions he's had to those but he's not the sole creative force on either of those projects yeah.
1: so would you want to argue uh the killer over uh gone girl no
0: i i don't think so i think i i do like the killer better as a movie when we get to the rankings you'll you'll see that happen but they're very close for me i think dawn girl rewatchability wise is is higher and you know it's got the star power it's got ben affleck it's got rosamund pike and, and two stellar performances
1: not gonna shut out my boy tyler Perry. come on man <laughs>
0: tyler Perry is good tyler Perry is good i can imagine uh listening to that episode would be quite something now cody i oh, feel yeah. like we both uh <laughs> are so much more I think aware of the way we talk about movies we've, come, we've
1: come, come a long way podcast long way. wise yeah. yeah it'd be a good one to revisit though yeah
0: <laughs> gone girl is is a solid movie. the thing is i don't think david fincher has a bad movie I'll, I'll
1: say that i like them all that's fair i haven't seen like some of his earlier stuff alien three not not known for being good but i like it <laughs> Yeah, I actually have seen that. I don't hate it. I wouldn't say that's a bet. And it's also, that wasn't his fault anyways. Dog so. alien, you know, it's not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's not They're the most like, original. The, but... the concept, honestly, the, the idea of alien, you know, the prison
0: planet, Ripley shows up like all male. Like there's there's something there, but some poor uh, green screen VFX work, not good. True. Michael Fassbender <laughs> is for shame, Prometheus, X-Men First Class, steve jobs i i think this is a, a fair four i did just watch prometheus for the first time uh, i said that earlier Um, doing a little bit of research for this i do like that movie i think his performance is very strong in it where's dark phoenix that's the that's the great <laughs> eric <Lester laughs> performance why isn't that on you there lost. instead of first class <laughs> did i lose you yeah you lost me there do you think anything is more deserving of, of being on his list inglorious bastards to me is like he's yeah. barely in it but it is i feel like a star not a star making but i feel like a really huge moment in his career
1: i think it's a super memorable one just because like the one scene he, he is in is a super memorable scene from that movie shut out three but yeah I, I actually do want to check out shame um i haven't I, seen that I was uh, watching Michael Fassmer actually very recently did one of those interviews where he like breaks down his career. Yeah. And that was one of his early films. And they talked like in length about that, of like how deep of a performance it is, how kind of messed up the movie was. So I think maybe that was like an um, an underrated, like Oscar bait kind of movie that maybe he should have gotten more recognition for. But other than that, I mean, X-Men First Class, I like too how like X-Men First Class is like the highest. Uh, rated like out of these four movies, I just think that's funny. But I think Steve Jobs is a good pick. I probably would have replaced uh Prometheus or Shame, I guess, like you said, with Inglorious Bastards. But the thing is with Fast Bender, he's just been in so much random stuff. I feel like, like you could even throw in like Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed, yeah. Like, I mean, he's a starring role in that. Like, I, I don't know, it, he it's is tough. the assassin, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: He is the creed. But yeah, also just like throw in Days of Future Past in here too. Like I'd be fine with multiple X-Men movies just because I like that franchise. But something that was
0: interesting, I watched that video as well, but him talking about how he kind of changed his performance for Days of Future Past to kind of more closely match um, Ian McKellen's, you know, his voice, which I think is super cool that he did that.
1: Yeah, it's like a subtle sort of um, vocalization change between First Class and Days of Future Past where... He's just trying to sound a little bit more like. And he was like, like, like "You probably it? wouldn't even be able to notice it, but it was different to me. No. <laughs> I didn't notice at all." I'm being honest, I've seen those movies a lot, so I, I gotta say, I, I
0: think he's had a really interesting career. I, Prometheus, it's got some. Inter- have you seen it? <laughs> I have, yeah. Just it's got one. some uh, interesting plot choices and and just like some weird character things. Uh, people just do dumb things repeatedly, yeah. but I think he is very good in it. And the like. Uh, extreme android you know everything precise and that is what uh, fincher i believe one of the movies that he saw fassbender in that made him want to cast him for this and it, it definitely makes sense um i think it, it works really well obviously the x-men movies those go super downhill with apocalypse and dark phoenix dark phoenix was the last movie he was in before this year's next goal wins and the killer which both came out within a month of each other kind of a a big four-year gap there obviously next goal wins was supposed to come out a little earlier so it shouldn't have been as big of a gap we've talked about it on the podcast before he kind of semi-retired from acting and was racing in the Le Mans like do you know like this movie they had to film the schedule the filming around his race schedule Cody what do you you, what's your take on that do you think it's just the he's got the x-men bag and he's out like
1: (laughs) i mean that's true he definitely he probably he he had to have gotten paid a good amount for like dark phoenix because i don't know why anybody would come back for that otherwise but i think that's pretty dope to be like he kind of like like he does the work too he i think he's one of the most kind of prepared actors that we have today in hollywood so i think he deserved a little mini vacation let him you know (laughs) run his race and for his dreams man yeah (laughs) i i love it but I'm glad he's back. I, I think he's here to stay for a little bit. And uh, like I said, he, he's one of the better working actors today. So hopefully he stays a little bit farther away from like shitty franchises. But th- this guy's got an Oscar in his future, I think for sure.
0: Yeah, you know, obviously Steve Jobs was the big bid there. Uh, does he lose that out to Leo in 2015? Or is it Keaton?
1: I think it was Leo. No, maybe Leo was the year after. 2015? Maybe it was Keaton.
0: Yeah, it was Leo. Uh, it was Leo? Uh, wow. He sadly eddie redmond in the danish girl matt damon the martian brian Cranston and trumbo and the winner leo dicaprio and the revenant and you know Fassbender and steve jobs I, I i think it's a solid performance i am very curious to see what he does next and and who knows when it will be i don't know what his next uh his next movie is
1: and the thing is like he's worked with so many good directors already i mean tarantino um you know obviously fincher here i I think that's scott of, yeah i think that pathway of just like latching himself onto a really good director could be really effective. Taika <laughs> I haven't seen Next uh, couple Wins, but I know you aren't a massive fan, but hey man, maybe once to go the comedy route, I'd be down for it. David Cronenberg, you know, he's worked with guys. He's he's done his uh, He's been around he's the He's
0: rounds, yeah. for sure. Danny Boyle, of course, and Steve Jobs as well. Yeah, yeah. This movie, you know, it really is just about those two. If we want, we can take a, a quick peek at Tilda Swinton, but uh, we need to talk about Kevin, Snowpiercer, Suspiria, and Michael Clayton. I think that's a solid four. Yeah, I think Benjamin it's- Button. She is in that, Cody. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah, knew yeah. that. She uh, she does have a, a similarly small role where she just uh, shows up and, you know, fucks with Brad Pitt's head a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Interesting. I'm excited to see that, but I feel like she's in a ton of stuff, too. She's like um, a really good character actor, I feel like, in a sense. Obviously, Snowpiercer is a really good example of that but i mean even this year she was in like asteroid city as well, well. that's the thing i'm
0: looking at her thing Inokio, and there's like 10 roles year. from 2020 to now like she's yeah. she's just in a ton of stuff voice roles like you
1: said i love the dog dr strange Hell caesar i mean she's in so much snow piercer for me is probably my favorite performance of her burn after reading she's actually amazing in that too uh she's in narnia Doctor strange thoughts on yeah. that um <laughs> you know interesting casting for the ancient one she does appear in avengers endgame
0: of course she does. reprises the role
1: great, great to scene ruffalo. With, with ruffalo yeah where she uh kind of disbands the hulk but i mean she's great sometimes she's she's not casting the best stuff which isn't really her fault but i think she's one of those actresses too where she's like I'll pretty much do anything. Like if you think I'll be good in this, like cast me and and I'll pretty much do it. So I like her kind of ideology in Hollywood of just saying like F it and and I'll go for it if you want me to.
0: Yeah, and obviously has worked like, incredibly internationally, like across, you know, with directors from from every country and and different races. You know, she's done movies with Bong Joon-ho. She's done movies, um, you know, with European filmmakers. She's all over the place, um, which is really cool. Suspiria, Luca Guadagnino, you know, she's working with everybody and she's, she's done it. She's had a really cool career for sure. She's always going to be great when she pops up. What do you think? Yeah. Best supporting actress nod for this movie, Cody? Uh,
1: I don't think she has enough screen time <laughs> for this movie, but I was going to say too. Like, I think she's got an Oscar in her future as well. I think um, this is a really well cast movie, and I think both of them specifically are some of the most talented people in Hollywood today. So I- I'm obviously a big fan of Tilda Swinton.
0: Yeah. She uh
1: has an Oscar in her past too, Cody. Believe it or not. I know, but for Michael Clayton, nobody remembers Michael Clayton. Like yeah. I, I barely even remember that movie existed. And I was like, oh yeah, I, for- I always forget she won an Oscar for that. But don't
0: hate on Clooney, man.
1: Shout out the clune man. Yeah, the the Academy loves him. I guess, but <laughs> I haven't seen that movie, so she's probably really good at it. But I have not say that.
0: Tony Gilroy, brother of Dan Gilroy, director. <laughs> Shout um, out. I, I think that's that's good for our IMDb. We can shout out yeah. Charles Parnell, just throwing yeah. heaters. Our, our boy from Top Gun Maverick <laughs> and Mission <laughs> Impossible: Dead Reckoning as well. I know you haven't checked that. Oh,
1: one. I haven't. I haven't seen that. I didn't know he's in that. Shout out! Shout and, out! Chuck. And your
0: your favorite uh, Transformers movie, Age of Extinction.
1: Oh God! Never say that again. Shut up, Bumblebee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the good stuff, Cody, Um, something I don't even know how aware of this you are is is just the the VFX that I mentioned off the top. Um, Mm -hmm. My background, this whole scene, like that building is created digitally, it's not real. They filmed basically like these individual plates of the characters walking around and then everything on top of it is superimposed, the glass, the facade, the building is created. There's some really striking imagery and shots in the, the opening of him looking out the window. All of it, I think, just looks incredibly seamless. It looked beautiful on a big screen. I think it looked great on Netflix. Um, there's some really impressive VFX work done um, in creating this just like giant building that he, you know, was looking at through the sniper uh, nest that he has. The we work. On top of that, the the chase sequence in the streets of Paris that happens after he misses his big shot, that is almost entirely a digital double, like. That wasn't really him driving around on a motorcycle. Like, there's shots of his face that they created, like entirely. Um, I'll throw some VFX breakdowns over the video of this, so if you're watching the video version, you can see that. But there is some incredible work that is just the amazing thing is it's not where you would expect it. You know, a lot of people might even say, "Oh, David Fincher doesn't use CGI. He's a you know he's a true filmmaker. He just shoots." The thing is, he uses it and really effective and minimal ways to create uh, something that's, you know, done at a reasonable budget and in an impressive fashion. Benjamin Button has a ton of great VFX in it as well. <laughs> Going back to that
1: one. The old young people.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if, if I'm being honest that both those scenes you just mentioned were false CGI. So that is pretty cool. Um, even your background, like you said, I mean, that looks amazing right now. I didn't have an inkling that that wasn't real. So shout out to that. And, um, yeah, I guess you could call it a chase. I mean, nobody's really chasing him um, after he leaves. But, yeah, fair enough. That looked pretty real as well. So, shout out to the VFX artists. Like I said, I mean, the Finch man knows what he's doing behind uh, the camera. So, this, that doesn't surprise me entirely. But, yeah, fair enough. Um, past that, some of my good. I think, Like I said, acting, fastbender, Tilda Swinton, both good. Fastbender's accent, I don't know. I think it's good, but... I think I'm just used to him talking in his normal voice and I really love his normal accent. So I'm not a massive fan, but I think his performance is really good. Obviously. I kind of just want to talk about each of the specific character scenes as well. And I wanted to kick off with Tilda Swinton. I thought she was phenomenal. And as he's going along with this too, I feel like the reoccurring theme is, or at least in my head is like, do these people deserve to die in a sense? And obviously kicking it off with the first taxi kid. I, I don't really think he deserved to die at all. If I'm being honest. Um, Sort of seemed like he he wasn't really involved. He kind of just started at his taxi place, and it's uh, an
0: interesting thing. It's like he's he's going on this kind of crusade through the movie, and it's it's unfortunate because the taxi is probably the person who deserves to die the least, but yeah. he's the person that he kills the harshest and like with the uh, least bit of interaction. And the thing about this movie is like you can compare Fassbender's character, the, the killer, the unnamed killer to like, you could be like a Patrick Bateman or, or Jordan Belfort, like a character that like maybe on the surface is like, oh, he's a cool hitman. And, you know, we want to like, I like the vibe that he's going off. But like, really, he's like a terrible guy and he's going on this like selfish journey. Uh, he has all these beliefs about like needing the yeah. few versus the many. And like, honestly, it's he's representative of like this poor taxi driver, this one of the few people of color in this movie is just like the trodden worker that he's just going to kill because he's, he knows that this is like, it's, it's all about like building on the backs of, of the lesser, the, the weaker it's this, this constant, this few versus the mini idea. Don't be one of the, the many be one of the few he's trying to get to the top. And then when he goes face to face with our, you know, client character, he, he has to reconcile with that, obviously.
1: Yeah. And we'll get to that, but um, yeah, with the taxi guy, I, I feel like the thing is like, he that's an emotional kill to me. Yeah. and sort of his whole mantra is, Oh, he doesn't give a fuck, you know, like, oh, he, he's not emotional at all. But then he's going on like this John Wick revenge path, but he's stating the entire time, like, he doesn't care. Forbid empathy. Yeah. So I don't really like the irony there too much. It's just like pick one and go with it, just because, like, I feel like that specific, if he met anybody else first, other than the taxi driver, I feel like they're getting killed just because he's pissed off about his girl. So I think just because he was first, that's maybe the reason he goes. Um, but past that, the second character scene, Loki might be my favorite. I mean, the Samoan fight scene is is amazing, obviously, but like the interaction between the lawyer um, and his assistant, obviously Charles Parnell is the actor's name, I believe. Uh, he He's awesome. I thought he, other than Tilda Swinton, was kind of my standout performance, just like his little dialogue, obviously. He had back and forth with You Now the second watch specifically, I feel like I gauged, like, I had a better understanding of what their relationship was before that scene. So then when he goes on his dialogue of, like, dude, like, you signed up for this. Like, you missed a shot. You knew what was going to happen. Like, I can't even believe you went home. I can't even believe you're here right now. I thought that was a lot more interesting on the second watch. But on the first watch, I was like, what is going on? Like, Fassbender's not even saying anything. This guy's just ranting for 10 minutes. Kind of fast forwarding, I guess. I do want to go to the end. but And I genuinely don't understand this, but I don't get why he doesn't kill him. He goes through this whole this whole uh, revenge journey, finally gets to the top, comes face-to-face with this guy. He's like, yo, we got a problem? And then <laughs> the guy's like, no, no, we don't have any problem. It was all Parnell. He said everything. And I'm just like, dude, like, this is what everybody told you the entire way, and you killed them all. But for some reason, he lets this guy go, and I, I just don't get it. I struggle with it as well, and I think
0: I would probably put it in the bad. Yeah, I... I guess it's the good, my bad, but... <laughs> no, no, no no, we can get into it now. um going back to the the whole like putting David Fincher into this movie, if you want to see it that way, right? Mm-hmm. The beginning, like I said, it's all about David Fincher is a notoriously, notoriously obsessive filmmaker. recently, Ruffalo and uh, Downey Jr did their actors on actors, and they you know even got to reminisce on their time spent on the zodiac set of how hard it is to be a, an actor under Fincher, right He'll say, let's do eighty takes, delete the first sixty and just, you know, to, to make make you, you know, hate yourself, right? And then, uh, you know, he, but he also cares about every single inch of the frame. He's very, you know, obsessed about everything being exactly right. And that's why he, he goes to all these lengths. So if you see him as the character, that makes a lot of sense. When he makes this mistake, he misses the shot that he's been for the first 20 minutes of the movie telling us uh that he's the greatest hitman of all time he's been basically like lying about how amazing he is when he misses that shot he doesn't know what to do and everything kind of crumbles around him there's a really great line about how it's all about in the minutes leading up to in the minutes after the preparation it's all about the redundancies the redundancy of redundancies that's all about you know filmmaking it's all about when you're when you're doing a scene, you have to prepare, you have to be ready for things to go wrong, you have to be ready for things to to fail. So there's all that stuff that I think is really in there. And then you have also like the terrible, like I said, the, the few versus the many, the quote of uh, the few has always exploited the many, whatever it takes, make sure you're one of the few, not the many. And then in the very end of the movie, he's like, oh, well, actually, I am one of the many, like, I didn't have it, I didn't have what it takes. And I think that's the thing, he's going on this journey of, like, trying to kill all these people. And when he gets to the end of it, he realizes, like, what was all, what was the point of all this? It was all for nothing. It was fucking pointless, right? He, he sits down and has the conversation with Tilda Swenton, other than just killing her right away, because he can't help himself, right? He's constantly lying throughout the, the entire movie. And I think that's what makes the narration so interesting, when he talks about, how great of a killer he is, but then we continuously see him fuck things up. He misses the shot. He he, he does the whole thing with Charles Purnell where he's like, I'm going to shoot you and you are you should live for six, seven minutes. And then he, he dies and he doesn't even get a chance to interrogate him. Doesn't know how to get the dog to actually fall asleep. Like he's really not that great at his job, but he's continuously lying to us about that stuff, right? So he's this obsessed guy who's trying to get to the end and try and be successful. And when he gets there, he looks this client in the face and realizes that this is like the guy, this is the power broker. These are the, this is the few. And he's like, none of this fucking means anything. Like I'm just going to spare you because if I kill you, it's honestly just going to cause me more trouble. And I have gone on this spree and it's all been for nothing. I don't really agree with that as like a a good character decision, but that's the character decision he makes.
1: Yeah. Do you think like, uh, Tilda Swinton's conversation did sort of like get in his head and and change his mind on some things. Because even before that scene, he's like, "Oh, why are you living like in such a public place? Why do you want to be like one of the many?" I think.
0: Well, that's the thing. I think he's like he's jealous of her almost. He's like that's why he has to sit down and have that conversation. He needs the explanation. Like, how does this woman have this life that I have? Like felt the need, cause, you know. He's living in the Dominican Republic with this like woman on a hidden property, and he has all these detached person. Like he's he lives this like hidden, dis- you know, distorted hitman lifestyle. And then he sees Tilda Swinton out there, like you know, basically doing whatever she wants, killing his like you know, kicking his girlfriend's ass, and he he gets jealous, and he has to sit down and you know figure out why, what's it all about. And uh, yeah, I do think that that conversation that she has with him. Uh, really
1: does affect him. I do agree with that. And again, I, I, I think that conversation is probably the most interesting in the film. I think another read on the ending too, if you want to go back to the,
0: it being so much about David Fincher, if you take like this, uh, his relationship with Netflix, I think is really interesting. And in the year 2013, uh, I brought up House of Cards earlier. He directed the first two episodes of House of Cards. He serves as the executive producer for this, mo- for this show that started the streaming TV revolution, really. Like it was the first one that really kicked things off in in a meaningful way. It obviously wasn't like the prestige TV revolution that existed before with HBO, but like in terms of Netflix taking over the world, House of Cards had a big, had a lot to do with that. And David Fincher is kind of to blame for the current state of the TV and movie industry as an extension of his work on House of Cards, right? Like if you think about, the the moving away from the theatrical model, the fact that this movie didn't even play in theaters, like so much of that can kind of be traced back to House of Cards. Now, of course, if it wasn't David Fincher, it would have been someone else, right? Like Netflix was was spending money at an unprecedented rate and they were gonna find that person to do it, but it was Fincher who, who shepherded that forward. And I think in a certain way, here he is now uh, on this like four year, uh, First look deal, you know, solo deal with Netflix where he's made mank in this movie, where they're paying him to create movies where he's like, I'm I'm, you know, a badass. I'm I'm gonna stick it to the man. I'm gonna tell the story of anti-capitalism, anti-consumerism. But the truth is, when I get to the end and I get to the man, the guy who has all this power, this big corporate force. I'm not going to pull the trigger and kill him because I know I have to work with them because that's how the movie industry works today. That's how uh, society is like in, in a fucking America. Like I, you got to play with the ballers. Netflix is the, is the client in this case, that's who he's working for Cody. And he's, he can't kill Netflix because they're fucking giving him money to make movies like the killer, something that he's been interested in adapting since like the, the early two thousands, you know, if they're going to give him X, you know, 40, $20 million dollars, and they're just gonna say, "Hey, you. We trust you as a filmmaker to go make a movie." He's he's gonna dance with the devil, and he's not gonna, you know, fight back yeah. if it means his movie's not gonna be in theaters.
1: <laughs> That's fair. I mean, again, it should definitely be released in theaters. I think uh, a lot more than this movie was, but I don't know. I like the metaphor a lot. I think that is really intriguing, but I don't know why that like has to be a part of his movie in a sense. I think obviously they're giving him a blank check to make kind of whatever he wants. Why do you have to make it about yourself? I don't know <laughs> if that is true. I kind of dislike that even even a little bit more. That's just my take. Yeah, I well honestly said. haven't. That exact, you know,
0: I've seen a lot of people make the comparisons of this is a movie about venture and like, this is him in a series. Like, yeah. but to me, that specific thing about like Netflix, that, that's my take on the movie.
1: I haven't really. I, think, I mean, it makes sense. I just don't know if I like, you know, <laughs> I do like that a lot. Um, kind of shifting subject I did want to talk about the Samoan uh, fight scene a little bit too. I don't know if that's being racist calling smoke. He's a New Zealander. So yeah, okay. Well, we can quite. keep it in, I guess. But I mean that fight sequence I think is unbelievable. Um, like I said already, the sound design is really interesting on it. Uh the choreography, there's like the hits feel like so unbelievably real. There's like four or five hits that fastbender just takes right in the face, and you just like I feel like so shout out to that I don't see like a fight scene sort of that realistic in a sense or maybe fight scenes don't try to be that realistic sometimes but I thought that was really cool and the stunt work was amazing even the setup like you said with the dog um, I thought was well executed and then it was kind of like a an interesting fake out from the guy where like the showers running but then like the alarm goes off when he opens the door I feel like that's pretty obvious so that definitely set him off. And then like the water turns off, but then he walks past him in the room again. And then he comes barreling out, but he's like not, he's not wet or anything. So I feel like maybe it was a setup from the beginning. Maybe Fastbender kind of played his cards um, a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it, the,
0: the layout of the house is a little confusing. It seems yeah. like it's a bathroom with like multiple entrances, which is, you know, shout out to Florida. Um, Sala Baker is that actor. You don't even really see his face at all. This is a guy who's just like a stunt performer. He's been doing it since the Lord of the Rings movies where he was uh, the Sauron, like he was the embodiment, you know, mm. big, like doing the stunts. Nice. He's been in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's done Marvel movies, you know, uh, Civil War, Central Intelligence, um, Rampage. He's, he's hanging out with The Rock, it seems like. He's he's worked on The Mandalorian, Army of the Dead, Malignant, Bullet Train. He, his four are Mulan, Captain America, Civil War, The Kingdom, and Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings, all as a stunt performer.
1: Well, shout out to the Finchman, and shout out to this guy as well, because he he deserves a more like you know upfront opportunity like that. So that that's awesome for this guy. Been working forever, and um really makes a really effective fight scene. I think I agree. I think this is my favorite scene in the entire movie, and um uh, it is just straight up like the the meanest fist fight I've seen in a while. Um, it does end in a very gross way. A couple of uglies I had, but I'll throw them in here because uh, I have a few other uglies too. But first off, like hurting dogs come on dude going too far disgusting behavior and then i um, really heard it it just you know he puts it to well, sleep he tried to hurt it <laughs> And then the end well not the very end of the fight but pretty much the end of the fight is this guy getting a table leg um just straight up the ass so i think that was pretty tough like that's a tough way to end such a brutal fight like this where it's mostly just like hand to hand sort of who can out punch the other in a sense and then fastbender has got to cheat and stick a wooden slab <laughs> up this guy's ass. I don't know if I buy Fastbender actually winning the fight. <laughs> no. I mean, he's so skinny, but obviously he's supposedly in shape. You know, he, do, he does his workout routine every morning and he's a killer. You know, he's a trained killer, Corbin. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's too many scenarios where he comes out on top, especially since the guy knocked away his gun was on top of him slammed in through like three tables and three walls. So he's pretty durable. Evidently that McDonald's really helps the core, I guess.
0: Hey, well, you know, if you just eat the protein, he was carb Yeah. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: the thing is, uh, it's so visceral. Like you said, it is, you, you really do feel it all. And that, that goes back to the sound design. One thing that I love is right at the beginning of the fight, when the guy comes out of nowhere and knocks him like the camera, has to like catch up because it like doesn't you know it's like it's just a cool choice of cinematography of like he gets whipped out of the frame and the camera has to whip over oh shit you know and then it follows the fight incredibly well edited you know it's not a bunch of like one long takes it's it's cut together it's spliced but it's done in a way that is extremely believable and effective um yeah like he said the the spike the wooden table up the butt is is not a way to go there's like the scene where he's like limping through the house and he like looks down there's blood dripping and yeah he's (laughs) tough um i I love the uh he pulls the like cheese grater thing great you know garlic grater out of the and he's like oh and then he throws it um but it's a it's a very solid fight and it comes in at the hour 15 mark which feels perfect um in its placement uh just as like that good you know climax
1: i think it is placed pretty well but um everything sort of before it and after is is 10 times more boring um but regardless one last thing i had to then i'll throw over to uh you but i thought sort of the storage um lockers or whatever what do you call them no storage units storage i thought locker, yeah. i thought the storage units uh was pretty i don't know pretty funny in a sense uh just because he's like the storage wars line where he's like oh, what happens when the automatic payments stop hitting i want to see the faces on uh the storage wars people and when, when they opened up this joint i thought that was really funny um going back to one of our past co- categories as well um making a post-credit scenes that would have been an unbelievable post-credit <laughs> scene of them just like auctioning off one of his storage units But I thought that like everything to do with that was pretty creative just because like this guy's prepared for anything in a sense that like the apocalypse could come tomorrow and this guy would be ready for that too. So I thought that was a really cool attention to detail with that.
0: Yeah. The production design in the, in the unit of like the, Scary bags, the you know, slightly opaque, you know, bags of guns and money and different IDs, and he's got all the different license plates. It, it it's a super interesting world building stuff that they're they're utilizing there. The the storage wars joke. There's also like a wordle joke. There there's you know some short quippy lines. Uh, it's kind of sharp biting humor about our modern day society. It, it fits in again with like the the consumerism the capitalism stuff. I think that um, you you look at the mcdonald's obviously that you you highlighted he does his first kill in a WeWork. work um he uses rental cars he he talks about how he used to use airbnbs and then nanny cams were invented so he, he stays away from that um like you said there's the storage facility stuff there's the amazon pickup lockers the the fact that he could just like orders the fob copier on amazon to you know get into a place there's just all these ideas of like how easy it is to in our modern society you know gain access to all these things and it's very real like you said about if you were a hitman what what would you do it's very smart in the way it does that and also the it calls back to, I think, Fight Club most similarly in his past, looking at like the, the consumerism stuff in that movie especially. And also, there's some hyper-masculinity stuff here that I think is really interesting as well with our, our main character. Although, you know, the brute character especially and the the disdain for, for everything Florida happening is pretty interesting. Um, I like the narration. I know you hated on it, but I, I like the unreli- unreliableness of it. And again, it's the thing of he he's a liar he's a bad hitman he's he's lying to himself he's lying throughout the whole movie he he's saying forbid empathy and then you know he snaps the woman's neck and pushes her down the stairs you know he he uh he's not as uh close to the mantras that he he wants to be he's not as close to them as he wants to be and uh finally i think Tilda us like you said is is really fantastic i think in yeah. the moment when he first sits down at the table there's just like so much that happens on her face and the cut back and forth between them where they don't even say anything and you can read uh into it so much all the emotions that she's feeling and then there is a lot uh that gets said what what'd you think
1: about the uh the bear in the woods joke cody <laughs> I liked it. I, mean, I think that's the beauty of this movie a little bit too. Like you had mentioned this, but there's a ton of like small comedic moments. This movie in a sense, a little bit, is just like a dark, ironic comedy. I feel like in a lot of, a lot of small parts. I mean, that, that was kind of like the biggest chunk of her dialogue, I thought. But I thought it was pretty effective. You even got like Finch for like cracked a smile in there at the end. So, well, that's the thing. yeah. So
0: Fassbender, something that he, He said, I think that he realized what Fincher wanted out of him was this like precision model. Like it's this precise, you know, you don't even really have to do a ton of acting. You just have to like move from point A to point B. You have to be super, you know, the yoga, the 60 beats per minute when you're doing the shots, all very precise. And that's, I think where the Prometheus performance really uh, makes a lot of sense here. Steve Jobs too, as well. But in that whole scene, he's sitting there and he's not saying anything. He's just letting Tilda Swinton talk. And he's just like staring at her, giving no nothing to her until finally the joke finishes. And there's just like that slight crack of a smile, which I love. And then he finally opens up a little bit, and has a slight conversation.
1: there. But for Tilda Swit, I mean, I think for the limited screen time she had, she really milked like everything she could have out of that character. So shout out to her again, obviously. But yeah, like I said, all, all like the character small interaction scenes, I thought they were good. It was, it was kind of the in-between that kind of lost me a little bit. Let's jump over to the bad goodie what do you got let's do it well stop i mean you mentioned this super briefly but tons of product placement again it's definitely obviously commentary and like consumerism and stuff but i mean you know they got paid bundles and bundles of money for including mcdonald's and amazon for for the small scenes they did so i still gotta put that in my negatives overall i think and then past that i mean i kind of were saying this already but there's not a ton of like actual characters or character growth i feel like throughout the movie Obviously, we are completely centered in on this one uh, character of the killer, you know, with Michael Fassbender, Um, which, again, like his ideology stuff in the first 15 minutes is sort of interesting, I think. But I don't find him interesting to spend like two full hours with where he doesn't really talk. He's kind of like the most quiet guy ever, which, again, makes sense. Like all of his interactions in the public where he's like renting stuff and buying stuff. He doesn't say anything. He's trying to be uh sort of as least memorable as possible that's obviously the idea with his outfit as well he's just trying not to stand out yeah but for like a movie standpoint i just find that boring man i don't know like i get that's the point but i don't think you can center a movie around a character like this where he just has like five minute scenes with like you know interesting people and then the rest is just him I, i i don't think that's very effective
0: Hey, man, it's not a job for the, if you can't handle boredom, man, you gotta you gotta lock in. Um, I agree. I mean, the long, sle- there are long stretches of no dialogue where it's literally just him looking around and stuff. And I, and I think that can be a drag, especially, it is tough because it's like, this is a movie that. Doesn't make sense to be on Netflix, but it is the type of movie that Netflix is like allowing, like is getting that's getting made now, and it's it's a weird place that we are in the in the movie industry. And I don't even really know if it had a wide release, how much money something like this would make. But it plays so much better in a theater, so it's tough at home when you're just you're watching Fassbender. You know, look around, watch people. But hey, he
1: does it well. He's a handsome motherfucker. I guess, I mean, I would go watch it in the theater 100%, and I think a lot of other people would too, but what was some movie really bad? I don't like the
0: epilogue. I think it's this weird, like, dream sequence. Everything's, like, super bright. It stands out so strangely. I would be okay with just ending the movie uh, when he leaves. I, I mean, I know we we talked about it. I, I don't love the fact that he actually doesn't kill the client, because that's the thing. It's like... My personal standing is like that's the guy who deserves it the most, right? Like yeah. fuck the rich guy, right? But the character for the character, it makes sense because he has this obsession of the few versus the many, right? So it's like from a from a me, you know, putting myself in the shoes, I hate that, but I get why it works for the story. So it's kind of a evil or thing. But the yeah. after that fact, the epilogue, I don't love, um, where he's just you know chilling on the beach with his his like unnamed girlfriend who got beat up because of him um that relationship you know if we want to jump into the ugly is
1: not very fleshed out either i wanted to mention that quickly too just because we don't really see i i feel like if they had a scene before where it was just setting up their relationship even if it was super tiny like oh like they're just sleeping and then he wakes up and even leaves or something random like that i think would have been fine but the fact like i guess they're both unnamed so that makes a well, little thing better. Is, you know
0: you you compare this movie to john wick um I can compare it to the movie old boy a little bit in terms of like stories about heavy revenge. And the thing is you have, even though the, the storytelling in that one is different, like you have to give us a reason to understand why they're going on this quest of revenge and you have to create the relationship in John wick. You, you see the cute dog and you have all the buildup of, okay, his wife died. This is the last gift. And then it gets killed. And you're like, okay, I'm with him. He needs to go on this rampage. And this yeah. is like, yeah, his his girlfriend, his wife, his you know, his his partner that lives down in the DR, she clearly was heavily beaten. She was assaulted by this man and woman. And it's like very unfortunate what happens to her, but we have no connection or reason to really care about her. And a lot of that's because the killer is so distant. So I, I agree, it kind of hurts the the revenge narrative. Maybe yeah. it makes the
1: the ending more acceptable when he lets the guy live, but I don't know. And kind of the one thing that I think makes sense to why maybe he did let him live. Like they didn't even kill his girlfriend. <laughs> like, he killed all these people, and they didn't even kill her. Like she stabbed, um, you know, the big guy in the leg, and uh, she's still kicking it in the dr. So I don't know. I, I think the revenge quest just wasn't as deep, like you said, as as like a John Wick. Because yeah, because she just doesn't feel like a real character at the end of it, or a real person. Hundred percent. Um, another thing I want to talk about too that we've been mentioning uh, the mantra. I do not like this mantra at all. It's so repetitive. Obviously, he's just saying the same stuff over and over. That is what a mantra is. But I don't, like you said, I don't think it really adds anything to the story. It's obviously your perspective of like, oh, he's you know, an unre- unreliable narrator. He's trying to convince himself of something that his actions clearly don't back up. I feel like Fincher's just kind of hammering that point home to the point where I don't want to hear this garbage anymore. And the thing that it reminded me of, which is completely random, but a past episode that we did with a uh, shout out, uh, Johnny Wazen, uh, the lobster has a. I love that score of like a super repetitive score, but I know you dislike it. I feel like this is vice versa for me. <laughs> I cannot stand this mantra. Like every time it's repeated, I want to gouge my ears out. But I think for some people, it probably is effective. Some great narration in that movie as well. Um, True. Yeah, I, I agree. I think
0: it does get a little bit over the top, especially because, like you said, the the actions are not even being backed up. So it's like, you're, you keep saying this, but it doesn't even feel uh, honest or real at all.
1: That's pretty much it. I, I was going to harp on product placement and consumerism a lot, but I feel like we covered most of that. But that's my main big is just like story. I'm kind of bored and <laughs> I get it. I understand the boy. I don't thing. I, I don't like it. hate this movie. It's just like super specific things that I just don't love the choices. I think I you know,
0: and when you look at the collection of, of Fincher things, like I think it's saying a lot in, in comparison to some of his others, but I think in terms of just like excitement and action and like the subject matter isn't as interesting as some of the other things. It isn't as brutal, it isn't as you know, like the Zodiac Killer, there's so much know weird mystery to that story The girl with the dragon tattoo is is very much a novel uh, you know uh, this you know intense mystery daniel craig's a journalist and he's trying to figure out what happened on an island you know it's kind of a you know you know what happened to this woman so you know his stories uh i in comparison can often seem greater i think but i think there's a lot more to this one um let's move on to the ugly cody what do you what, what do you got here obviously some kills are a little rough
1: well yeah i mean um uh, like i mentioned already the uh <laughs> table up the ass is not not great there are a, a lot of ugly things i think in this movie first off i i i was uh dying to bring this up the entire time but there's a specific quote uh and it's an acronym corbin what what's the acronym of WWJWBD? <laughs>
0: you're uh, spoiling my final question cody <laughs> what would what would john wilkes booth do cody
1: i mean what the fuck is that quote dude i get it obviously it's part of the character but it's so out of place it's not really relevant it doesn't come up again at all but it's just like oh what would John Wilkes Booth do? Like you're really comparing yourself to that person in history. <laughs> well, that's uh, the, yeah. It's I hate the thing. That. He's not a
0: good character. You know, he he's admiring the greats. There's another illusion earlier where he's like the <laughs> Green River Killer. He was yeah. super dumb, but he was conscientious. Like, you know, he couldn't spell cat, but he got away with all these murders. So like he's- He's a studied, He's he's a he admires
1: the the, the best Ted Williams as well. Yeah, Ted <laughs> he's Williams. Batting <laughs> he's batting a thousand though. Not not anymore though. But uh, <laughs> I thought that was just really out of left field, and I feel like that could have been left on the cutting room floor very easily. Um, past that, some taking a stand stuff. for Abe. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Yeah, uh, you can do better than that. At least pick like Lee Harvey Oswald or somebody cool. But <laughs> John Wilkes Booth, that guy sucks. Um, secondly. <laughs> I just want to talk about sort of the way he breaks in a little bit here. First off, uh, the recycling person. Come on, dude. Everybody needs a recycle. You're going to bank off of that sort of ingenuity. Not cool. And then, then secondly, he used like uh, Postmates. Um, like, dude, I'm just trying to order a pizza every now and again. Like, you don't have to break into my house. <laughs> Come on, dude. This is the real world. So I thought that was ugly. And then lastly, th- I, I don't know if you wanted to bring this up anytime either, but I thought this was really interesting. His nickname it's only revealed once that uh, I guess people call him like the Dominican Republican, um, which I thought was I think that should I, probably go in good, really, because I think that's really funny. But since Republicans mentioned, it, it's got to go in ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that was just like the, the thing <laughs> that the guy says, because he was there
0: like they went to the Dominican Republic. I don't know if he's actually referred to it as that.
1: I think but. that's his nickname. 100 percent. I think that's what like him and Tilda Swinton call him every single time they talk about him.
0: Um, I don't know if they're talking about him a ton, to be honest, but I guess that's fair. Um, something you could, this isn't really ugly, but you know, I'll throw it in here. All the uh, the names, the alias he uses are like old TV characters. I don't know if you, you know yeah. about that. Yeah. And I, that's kind of, you know, a funny thing of like, oh, you know, george nobody, jefferson right nobody that, that one's archibald to bunker shout out to riverdale yeah uh you know they're they're using all these names oscar madison howard cunningham reuben kincaid Lou grant sam malone um to kind of you know as his aliases and you know people today there is there's no uh modern you know you don't bat an eye but probably 20 30 years ago people would be like archibald bunker that's 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 crazy
1: yeah. It's kind of like in a catch me, catch me when you can. It's like Barry Allen. It's like, yeah. it, it's just like niche names like that. I feel like not, not especially these days, nobody's going to recognize like, you know, sitcom characters from the seventies or eighties. So I kind of like that too.
0: I mentioned the, uh, the partner, his partner character, the woman in the Dominican Republic is just kind of used in a really strange way. She is primarily there for motivation, but we don't even really get any, uh, you know, reason to like, like we talked about, you know, understand her, appreciate why uh we don't even know there is a relationship until he shows up at the house and it's been trashed um so interesting framing there i think it could be better done and then also the last thing i'll say is netflix fuck you you know put this movie in theaters we've we've harped on it the whole time but like this movie is so much better the sound design especially in that opening scene it does like the baby driver thing where yeah you can watch it at home with headphones but i tell you what in the theater when it's you know, moving around you at a 360 degree way, you hear it in your right ear, the left ear, it, it moves from in to out with that Smith's uh, soundtrack. It's, it's so much better. And then also, you know, all the slow-mo bullets and the gunshots, like that stuff just hits so much harder in a movie theater. Also the score, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, again, like I said, they're killing it. It reminds me a little bit of like uh, the Dark Knight score in some ways, but it's a lot more harsh. It's even more sharp. There's less of like a melody to it. It's really just like fucking tense the entire time. Um, it, it It's crazy. And um, all of that deserves to be seen in a theater. And it sucks that it was such a limited release. So it's ugly.
1: I agree completely. I, I'm pretty pissed at Netflix that I wasn't able to see this in theaters. Maybe they will do a re-release at some point. Yeah, I think that 100%. I probably would have had this like bumped up like one or two points in my rating if if I saw it in theaters, I feel like. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back
0: with Invite Fight Night. totally invite your personal friend Spider-Man. I want to fight you. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. Cody, who do you want
1: to invite on the pod? My invite, and uh, this category is going to be fun because there's not a ton of characters here, but my invite, I'm going to take a total Swinton's character. I think her name's a Specialist, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, she kind of just obviously seems like the most interesting and the best storyteller. I'm kind of basing it around that bear story a little bit, I guess. But hey, man, if we bring so her she's on, got she... any more jokes. Yeah, if she tells us anything, you know, up to par of that, I think it's going to be a good pod. So I'm going to take her. She could probably find a metaphor somewhere
0: for us. <laughs> True. Who are you inviting? Um... I'm bringing in another one of his visitations, and that's the Charles Parnell, the the lawyer character. This is the guy who has the most in-universe information, I imagine. You know, he's the one who recruited Fassbender out of law school, which I think is a really weird detail. Um, So I feel like, you know, just insight into this criminal world, he's going to be able to provide the the most information to us. If he opens up, maybe put a couple, uh, maybe two
1: nails in his chest instead of three. Give him a few more minutes than uh than Finch- I mean, uh than did. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Fight. I'm not gonna fight uh the big guy, obviously. I was wondering if you're gonna take him. I'm gonna go with the rich guy at the end. Again, I mean, I feel like he had it coming in a sense and he didn't get it. So that makes me pretty angry. And um also I kind of just want to figure out like why did he originally put a hit on that one guy? So I feel like maybe just a confrontation of be like, hey buddy, what's going on? And then whatever, he can answer whatever he wants. And I don't really care. Why are but, you
0: why are you putting hits out on people?
1: <laughs> yeah, and then just deck him because he, he deserves one. But um yeah, he's also just got a really punchable face for a rich guy, I feel like. So shout out to him. I
0: had this as well. He was uh, on my list. He he was my fight. Um if if he's not gonna get killed, I mean I think Fastminder should have at least decked him one on the way out. Be like, hey, yeah. come on, you paid for for my girlfriend getting messed up. That's that's not cool.
1: Send, like, a warning shot into his foot or something. You got, you got to do something. But, yeah, I agree. Uh, we can move
0: on last. Who, who do you want a knight from this movie Cory? So, uh, it's the brute's dog, Cody. Because there's one particular moment He's after he, he wakes. What? That's He's my pick, too. Yeah. To? I'm sorry <laughs> for stealing it. But, dude, that badass motherfucker
1: busts through the glass to chase Fassbender out of the house. That's insane. That's commitment. Yeah, we're on the same page. I also picked Diva the dog. That was my exact reasoning. He is smashing through the glass for vengeance for his guy. So that's commitment. That's, that's the real story of revenge that we needed. 100%. I, I want Diva by my side as well. So I think that might be the first dog night we've had in a, in a while, but definitely deserved one for, for a double night there.
0: I, I didn't know his name. Diva. That's Diva. Yeah. That yeah. <laughs> that's the best, best Floridian dog there is. <laughs> The recast, Cody. Bond.
1: James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The
0: name's Bond. James Bond. Um, I'll say this. I think uh, Fincher does a good job, notoriously, of casting his roles. Um, It's hard to find someone to replace in this. The brew we have highlighted as being great, but why not get Dave Batista in there? I mean, we, we know we need no big wrestler, man. You shaking your head, Cody. Shout out to our uh, knock at the cabin
1: episode. Shoot, I was gonna say that as well. Um, you stole my pick again. That was my reject. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I think you just took my notes this week. But yeah, I agree completely. I mean, Dave would have been perfect for that role. Obviously, this guy, like we said, very experienced stuntman. But I feel like Dave could match his physicality. Honestly, I kind of want to see this guy and uh, Dave like in a fist fight. I think that would be really well. That's, really a, cool. I
0: think Dave is too big, like fast versus Dave Batista. No shot, you know, solid baker. <laughs> I can maybe see it, but this
1: guy's massive too.
0: <laughs> Dave's <laughs> even bigger. D- don't discount Batista. Fair enough. I did he have another, he didn't Batista bomb anymore. What uh, else? What's your other one? <laughs>
1: game came close, but um, uh, shout out the chair, uh, I mean, the table, whatever. But uh, my second one, I run to wanted to replace um. The killer's girlfriend who again is unnamed, and um, she hasn't been in a ton. I, I don't think she's bad by any means, but my idea here, in, in a sense, and it's like double casting with Dave Bautista too. Just give me like more nameable actors. I want to eliminate a little bit of the realism with this movie and kind of just like give me people I recognize to take me out of it a little bit. So for his girlfriend, I wanted Tessa Thompson, who I think in like the the one specific scene where obviously she's like injured on the bed. That could have been a little bit more powerful with her. I feel like maybe pull out the heartstrings a little bit more, uh, get some emotion brewing, and uh, I think Tessa Thompson can kind of do, you know, the serious action stuff and sort of some of the emotional stuff too. So I thought she'd be good.
0: Tessa Thompson's definitely a good pick. Give her, you know, some more character development and,
1: and yeah. get her in there. Let let her join like the last fight or something. Bring her into the third act. Yeah, sure. She Why should not. be a hitman too. Sure. Tilda Swinton's
0: great. Uh, but we could bring Whoa. in another heavy hitter and and replace her with Viola Davis. Let's uh, let's have her tell that bear joke. <laughs> the tooth the uh, looks like a Q tip. A tip. Yeah. That Q-tip. that uh, you know Tilda Swinton. That that definitely fits yeah. her more. But I think that was probably right for her.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. We could give Violet Davis like so some... blonde platinum bond look. I, I, <laughs> I'd be down. I would definitely like that. I don't hate that. Obviously, like replacing Tilda Swinton would be tough. But if you're going to, I mean, Viola Davis is a pretty good pick. The rating, Cody. Do
0: you like me? What
1: do you want to rate this movie? I'll kick us off. Like I said, I think Finchman-wise, this is not my favorite of his. I believe, and I didn't even go back and look at this, but I believe my rating for Gone Girl was 60 or 61, somewhere around 60, that 60, indeed. 60, okay. So I think, and I'm not changing off my notes here, I'm going to go with a 50 out of 69 for The Killer. Um, like I said, all the technical stuff, very good. The acting is pretty solid, but it's kind of just a story that, um isn't my favorite I, I just don't connect with kind of this movie out of fincher's diet uh catalog uh similar to like zodiac i'd probably put like zodiac a few points ahead of this but um i don't know being the finchman we just got some movies we don't really agree on but this is still a really well-made movie and, and one that i you know i did enjoy on a rewatch for sure worse than knocking the cabin that we did last i year. I, I do agree with that cabin. yeah i definitely <laughs> agree with that shout out to dave
0: uh i'm a little higher than you obviously our rating systems are different but i'm gonna go 56 out of 69 here nice. um very respectable i do like this movie it's just slightly better than gone girl but in the in the canada fincher movies it's uh it's right in the middle so
1: it's definitely in the top 10 for me <laughs> <laughs> you might also like who knows you might like it it's a killer rush Cody,
0: what would you uh recommend
1: to people who like the killer i've got some fun picks i mean I mentioned this guy a few times on the Potteratic, already, John Wick. I'm going to go, of course, with John Wick 3 Parabellum if I haven't talked about that movie enough. But shout out horses, shout out katanas, shout out throwing knives. Great flick. Need to rewatch it soon. Um, past that, some other just like revenge movies that I was thinking of that I do like a lot. Kill Bill, volume one, of course, is a classic. And then kind of staying along the Tarantino train. I think Django Unchained is a really underrated just like revenge film overall. So I think if you do enjoy this movie, obviously there's, you know, some revenge aspects. So I think those three all kind of would, you know, solve your cravings if you're looking for more revenge tales.
0: Definitely. Similar to John Wick, it's, it's from the same producers, same people, nobody. Um, that's one that yeah. the, the fighting is so visceral, but it's not, it's similar to this one where it's like, you know, John Wick at times is so choreographed and so impressive where like nobody is kind of Bob Odenkirk as yes, a trained fighter, but also a regular guy who's kind of out of practice getting his shit swatted. So it's the, the, it's, it's a guy getting his ass beat a lot more uh, similar to this movie. So if you like that kind of action, as opposed to the John Wick, um, always kicking ass kind of thing, I think that's a good one. The Equalizer 3 I'll shout out as a movie they also came out this year with some fun old man action denzel doing some good fight scenes in europe this of course is set in italy uh whereas you know the killer is set in, in paris and in other you know places in, in the united states um and then fight club is the the one that i think most similarly thematically the writer of this movie the killer did not write on fight club but he did do some like uncredited work on the script and there's some similar ideas um, between that one and this one in, in terms of, uh, you know, the consumerism, the capitalism stuff, the hypermasculinity.
1: Yeah. I think the parallels are, are very clear on that as well. So I agree. Good picks. The final question. All right, listen, I got one last question for you.
0: My question for you, Cody, and uh, uh-huh. this, I, I don't want to spoil things on the draft, but you have to definitively say where does this rank in the David Fincher canon for you?
1: Ooh. Okay. Like I said, I've not seen all of Fincher's movies. I guess this is kind of playing my cards. I don't want to go through the, the entire list. Let me see. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. So for me, I mean, I think I've seen seven Fincher movies and this would slot in at number six, I believe. Okay. Like I said, I have Zodiac right above it. I think in that five slot. So it's just, a, it's peeking in to the top five. I think, I think Zodiac in this, I could probably go back and forth on, but again, not bad, but just personally for me, not, not Finchman's best. Yeah.
0: What's your question for me?
1: Well, mine is actually pretty interesting. Obviously, like you had said, I feel like you're a pretty big Fincher fan um, undoubtedly. So I kind of just want to open up to you. Um, do you have a dream Fincher project or maybe just pinch, excuse me, pitch uh, Fincher's next movie? Like you said, obviously he's got a big Netflix deal, but is there any sort of genre, any sort of story that you'd want him to delve in? Obviously, he's done a ton of great stuff and sort of been all over the place. There's like social media drama? Does like obviously like a, you know crime sort of sprees, all that good stuff. But is there anything specific you'd like to see him
0: do next? You know, Fincher, he's uh, the king of adaptation. He, he, most of his work is is based on something previously, um, whether that even be like Benjamin Button being brace based off of like a short story written by uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. You know, Fight Club obviously based on a novel. Um, <clears throat> Social network, like he, so, you know, a lot of adaptation makes a lot of sense. I'd love to see him do something science fiction. I think that could be really cool. Um, I don't know what the particular book would be. Maybe uh, there is this one project, uh, Project Artemis. I think is the the name of this book. No, 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 just what what what's this one I got here? Artemis is the title of this book by Andy Weir that I read. Um, he's the director, or he was the writer of The Martian. Uh, yeah. I think this could be it. It's kind of a heist movie in space set on like the the lunar you know like a lunar society it's not really up david fincher's alley but you know i think we could find some ideas in there for sure for him. And if not something else sci-fi space related i think would be really cool um get him back into the alien type territory i, I guess is what i want to see or give me another fi- uh, sorkin work uh collaboration because i think they really bounce each other out really well so if uh sorkin's got something that he, he wants to give to fincher i'd love to see that
1: yeah i agree on both counts i think um that first one you could have him like in Soderbergh almost team up uh for an artemis project and that'd be fun but yeah both good choices all right cody three movie mini
0: draft well it
1: is draft day
0: we're doing david fincher movies uh would you like the first
1: pick <laughs> um i mean i'll take it i'm I, I can't remember what was our last episode um knock at the cabin i think i think uh, i had the th- Third,
0: pick? pick I don't know. Did I have the second? Yeah, pick? I think I let you make the choice, and I think you took the third
1: pick. Yeah, okay. So, in theory, I should get the first pick now, right? Sure, yeah, the first <laughs> pick. all right. If if that makes sense, uh, that's fine, but if not, sorry. But, um, I mean, my first pick, I'm sorry, I'm taking the social network. Here. <laughs> I love this movie. This is by far my favorite Fincher film. Again, it's so different from a lot of his other stuff, too, just because. It's not, I mean, it's not a completely true story. There's definitely a lot of stuff that was kind of added along, but I think it's his most interesting. I think it has the, the most fleshed out characters. Andrew Garfield is unbelievable. Jesse Eisenberg is obviously very good as well. But yeah, I think for me personally, that's just my favorite Fincher movie. So I'll take Social Network at one. Yeah, best movie of the the 2010s, hands down.
0: I'm going to take Zodiac.
1: I know you're not as high on it, but
0: I think this is uh, a masterpiece of a crime drama. It is, ext- it is very long. It is an epic. It's, you know, three plus hours. But the performances from Ruffalo, Downey Jr., Jill and Hall um, are really incredible, especially when you look at, you know, what their careers w- are for the next 10 years, especially Ruffalo and Downey Jr. Um, obviously, this year, also another great thing is um, in terms of the conversation of movies having with each other, Ruffalo and Downey Jr. Are probably going to be competing against each other for best supporting actor, um, which oh, yeah. is another like, cool moment of these two guys who kind of spent their uh you know spent a decade stuck in the superhero world and now as it's crumbling around them they're able to to kind of rise out and in return to doing great work which i think is super cool to see um so zodiac i'm definitely going to take um just the ultimate mystery movie the ultimate crime drama and then seven all-time ending this one is gruesome this one is a tough watch for sure the kills kevin spacey for sure sullies it a little bit but he does play a villain and the guy's an ultimate villain in real life so it it works out well (laughs) um taking two brutal movies with seven and zodiac but i think that's what uh fincher does really well his brutality
1: what's in the box what's What's in in the the box box? (laughs) yeah good picks uh going back to zodiac too rdj is great Ruffalo is great um, I'm not so sure about Jill Hall, but fair enough. What what's his nom for this year? Yeah, he doesn't have any. Uh the covenant but, uh, guy Richie's the covenant. You think he's getting a nom? Come on. Um, I'll give it to him. What about ambulance? That came out this year too, right? Uh that was last year. Sure. Was it? Oh, fair enough. That leaves me. Well, I get two picks actually. So I'll just take both these. I mean, we've been talking about them both a little bit, but first pick, I I'll tell t- uh I'll take fight club. I guess first pick doesn't really matter. Like we said, um Really interesting themes, I think. I think thematically this is maybe one of his best scripts. And then of course there's a really cool reveal. No spoilers, I guess. And my second pick, I'll take Gone Girl, another great reveal too. Shout out Roseman Pike. I love that she's kind of you know more in the forefront. I guess a little bit of like actually getting roles. I feel like before this movie, she wasn't really like considered a very serious actress in a lot of these roles. Um shout out Saltburn. I thought she's good in that this year. <laughs> she is but, one of uh, the bright spots of that movie true I, I like that movie but uh gone girl great thriller uh, kind of had me on the edge of my seat guessing the entire time so i think those two combined are are definitely a great trio
0: yeah i, I think fight club is one that is i feel like only soli's as i like you know like it just gets worse a little bit yeah every time it I doesn't watch it.
1: age the best i don't think yeah, I either, and i think but... as you
0: grow up it doesn't you know, I don't know. It, it's a 90s movie. It, it feels maybe less relevant even more so now uh, than it did before, um, but I do like it a lot. I mean, it, it, he's a master filmmaker, and it, early on, he was great. Um, I'm going to go with The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, one you haven't seen here, but you know, you took Social Network, so I'm just going to take my second, third, and fourth favorite Dave Venture movies, and uh, <laughs> The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is number four for me. Uh, this one actually might be his, his most brutal. There is a very intense sexual assault scene, that uh when i watched i, I honestly just skipped over uh because it is just really brutal but it Daniel doesn't make great <laughs> mara are are both very good in this movie and it is one that it, it, it makes me really sad that they didn't uh do a sequel to it because you know it's uh, based on like an original trilogy of books from sweden i think the the sequels to the book are you know make some interesting choices and they would have had to change the adaptation slightly but I wish there would have been more of uh, Rooney Mara in this role, more of Daniel Craig in the role. It, it would have been cool to see the world expanded. Um, and it's unfortunate we only got this, but it is a very well done movie. And, you know, it's got Stellan Skarsgård there, um, you know, having fun as well. So, girl with a dragon tattoo.
1: Yeah. I mean, does Fincher make sequels? Not
0: really. No, no, not really. It, it was talked about, but it just uh, never really
1: came together. He uh, he made Gone Girl next Gone Girl after, yeah. Interesting. Three year break. Benjamin Button was somewhere in there, wasn't it? That was the two thousands. That was after Zodiac, oh, actually. Fair enough.
0: It goes uh Zodiac Button and then um social network.
1: Gotcha. Interesting.
0: All right, Cody. Last but not least, weekly watches. Karen Honey. Uh what are you watching? What have you been into? Uh it's been a while. We got a lot to, to yeah. tackle on my end.
1: I have a decent amount too. Um I'll kick us off. I don't even care, but uh, we can hit the things we've both seen. True. Uh, I checked out May, December. Mm. Uh, this is actually um, about a week ago now, but I actually didn't show this movie a lot. It kind of was not what I really expected it to be, but um, the main trio, I think acting wise is about as good as you're going to get in any movie you'll see this year sort of uh, and each character is so different, I think, which makes it even more interesting I don't even want to spoil the setup of the movie because I didn't even know what it was about. But the sort of duality of N- Natalie Portman's character of sort of like being there for a reason, but also being there for a lot of other reasons, I think is really cool. And then Julianne Moore kind of just gets to delve into this sort of insanity character. Um, I thought she was really good. I think she maybe has the edge over Natalie Portman in my eyes for you like the lisp well <laughs> sure i guess but it's part of the character i guess but i thought they were both exceptional i think they'll both get nommed and i'd be surprised if one of them doesn't win um the other guy in it too i, I think his is charles was, melton uh, yeah melton he was really good I, I did not expect him to be good at all but his character was kind of in the toughest spot you can really be in in life and i thought his like evolution as the movie went along was really interesting so you haven't seen May, December, i definitely wreck it. Was that one that you have seen recently?
0: Yeah, uh, Mina and I got to check that one out at the New York Film Festival when it nice. was uh, showing there. And it was one I similarly went into kind of not really knowing what to expect, what it was about, and was really impressed and blown away. It's funnier than you really like expected to be or ever imagined it could be but it's got a real sharp humor to it it was nominated in the golden globes in the comedy category and the twitter discourse about this film has like rotated in countless cycles of like hating it and talking shit like there's so much fucking blah but there's also like a lot of really interesting stuff about the movie as well and there's a lot of layers it's got a ton to say about acting and performance and you know what goes into that you know the natalie portman character it's looking at you know, in kind of a cynical way, a lot of the time. And it's extremely dramatic. Melton is incredible. The body language stuff that he's doing like this, he's kind of like doing this performance of a teenage boy. Like he's eternally trapped, this child trapped in a man's body. Who's like also trying to raise his own children. There's a really interesting, um, scene where he like smokes weed with this kid, which is this like weird, uh, experience to have where they're both like, uh, they're both children right and it's there's just there's a lot of stuff there and um i understand why the discourse becomes vitriolic at points when discussing this movie it's one that it's easy to be like dumb and uneducated about but um i really impress it uh, appreciate it and i think todd haynes is uh is doing a lot of uh really good work i think the script should get nominated and and i agree it'd be cool to see uh all the performances get nominated, but especially Melton, I think he, uh, he might come in and steal the award from RDJ or Ruffalo. Oh, I
1: don't think so. I think he's been winning a lot of critics, uh, awards uh, recently. So I don't know. I, I think it's fair. I think it's, it's deserved, but. I'd be shocked to be swooped and it took the Oscar from RDJ. But other than that, another recent release that I finally caught up on too was uh, a haunting in Venice. Did you ever see that? I did not. I, I okay. I actually low key liked it. So I would recommend okay. it to you Corbin specifically, I'm but I'm still waiting on death on the Nile. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you can skip over the, the first couple movies. Um, this movie sort of puts the character of uh, Perot in an in interesting spots begin and just sort of the hook of it it's not really what you would expect out of you know a detective movie like you know death on the mile death on the nile like we've seen before. so i thought that was fun uh, michelle Yeoh is unfortunately wasted i won't spoil it but god damn it hollywood just give her the right role because there would have been a perfect perfect role for her in here but uh i think she just got put in the wrong uh sort of spot which is unfortunate but overall as a fan i, I know um some people have qualms with like Tina Fey's performance or even her involvement in the movie, which again is fair, but she's, she's not like kind of the main focus or anything. So I think it's acceptable, but obviously it's a haunting event. It's, it's a horror sort of a take on a murder mystery, which I enjoyed a lot. So I'd recommend that. And then some, some random comedies I've watched recently too. I checked out tag for the first time, which, um, I did enjoy. I mean, Jeremy Renner and it's a great cast, uh, You know, John Hamm. Ed Helms. Yeah, Ed Helms is all right. Uh, What's the other guy's name? Um, He's not even in shit anymore. Hannibal Burris. That's his name, Hannibal Burris. I thought he was okay. Yeah, like Hannibal Burris and Ed Helms. I didn't love them specifically, but I thought like the group dynamic as a whole was pretty good. And just the chemistry of the cast was amazing. Jeremy Renner was kind of the standout for me, but it's a decent comedy flick. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. And then I also kicked out, I also checked out excuse me kicking and screaming i had never seen that before surprisingly and i was i've been trying to check off all the will ferrell movies out there um it's okay there's some weird subplots uh first off mike ditka is in the majority of the movie and he's amazing um so shout out mike Ditka. i didn't (laughs) know that yeah he's awesome and then secondly um they have a really like thing they focus on is like will ferrell gets addicted to coffee and that's like the majority of like the second act and the third act is like him dealing with his coffee addiction, which I thought was pretty weird for like um you know a parenting soccer movie, um so I don't know not not Will Ferrell's best by any means but just from an interesting standpoint maybe I'd recommend it if you like comedy. Um and then lastly I did rewatch Grown Ups. Um I hadn't seen it for a while. Um uh, classic classic flick. You know even in my age today I still enjoy it a good amount. So that's that's at the high of the highest of my list on recommendations. Um, and then past that, uh, yesterday, actually, I checked out two movies in theaters. Um, I checked out Wonka, which I know uh, you were not a massive fan of, but I thought it was charming. I actually enjoyed it a good amount. Obviously, it's the same director who did like Paddington 1 and Paddington 2. It's a very, very similar movie to those, I would say, sort of from a story perspective. Um, and it's not like super faithful to any sort of Willy Wonka, um, you know lore or even the movies that we've seen i think i've seen that's like the biggest qualm for a lot of people is this character doesn't have sort of like um the edginess of like gene wilder or, or the weirdness of johnny depp so it's kind of separate a little bit from those stories but just like from a prequel unnecessary i guess like from an unnecessary prequel standpoint in a kids movie i thought it was pretty good like the music's not the best the acting's okay but like I kind of connected with this group of characters that we were supposed to enjoy. So I treat up a little bit at the end, um, some cool like family dynamics and stuff, but overall I enjoyed it. I, I know you weren't as big of a fan though.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it does really does feel disconnected from the, uh, like the heart of like the Charlie and the Tracker Factory, the Gene Wilder, and even like the the weird Tim Burtonness of uh, the the Johnny Depp version. But the thing is, like, I don't even really care about like that lore either. Like, I'm not a huge uh, chocolate head like that. But <laughs> it's it it's a weird thing. Is was like what? Is, wh- I don't understand what like Paul King's interest in Wonka was, right? Like, it doesn't feel like there's any reason that this had to be Willy Wonka, right? Like, it's kind of just taking the the Paddington, you know charm and this like super sweet you know rose-colored view of the world um this charming whimsical like english take on just and just like applying it to Willy Wonka and making it a musical and then like it just doesn't seem like there doesn't seem to any be any reason behind any of it. Maybe. there's no cohesion it's like why are we doing this because we can i guess
1: is that <laughs> i mean also, what's, like, what's the reason to do anything at Hollywood i know i know
0: i know but i i cynically feel it even more so about this one um also, just like, it's weird as a musical. Like, I don't think it works super yeah. well. Why not? I, I don't know who the, the, you know, I think Timothy is fine in the lead, but like, why not really pump the surrounding cast full with like people that can sing their asses off? And like, I, I and there definitely are some good singers in it. Um, also the Keegan-Michael Key getting bigger thing is really strange. Uh, <laughs> like I, I like get that. what it's a commentary on and like, you know, greed <laughs> and overconsumption and hell, this is a very much... A movie about consumerism and it's like a, a Marxist work, but like it,
1: it's yeah. kind of shitty and half-assed in the way it does it. <laughs> <That'd be laughs> it's I think that's fair. Welcome in. Keegan Michael Key's character is not very fleshed out, but I, I thought he was a decent comedic relief, but yeah, maybe we, we'll have to go into that more because I actually do like that movie. But um regards the other movie I checked out, which I did really enjoy, and I know you were a fan of as well, is like uh, Godzilla minus one. Um I didn't expect yeah. a ton from this movie, if I'm being honest just because like i'm not a massive godzilla fan by any means i have seen you forced me to watch a couple of them (laughs) first one with um brian cranston has a few good moments i think but ultimately a failure but then you got all the ones after that i mean godzilla um king of monsters i wasn't a massive fan of and then i haven't even seen um kong versus godzilla i assume that wasn't great either but tell you what man uh this movie made me care about uh the human characters which i don't think that has ever happened probably won't ever happen again if we're being honest but i was emotional man i think the main thing with this too is like where they put it like story-wise coming right after world war world 2 ends in japan and a really interesting character study of um, a former kamikaze pilot who kind of uh i guess he was support. he was supposed to do a kamikaze at the end of the war um and he's like, "What? What's the point, dude? Like, the war's over." And then he has a run-in with Godzilla, basically. As well, I think something that um, other Godzilla movies don't really do is like this character has beef with Godzilla. Like, he has several run-ins with him. He's wasting everybody. Um, and the visuals I think are really, really cool. Um, especially for the budget this movie has. And then um, there's a couple specific scenes. I don't know. Should we go into spoilers? I don't know. But well, um. Something that I want to talk about the going back to like this
0: character, it's similar to this movie of like he has this shot right. He has a chance to take a shot at Godzilla, and he like freezes yeah. right. He doesn't do it. Obviously, there's also this whole idea of like he doesn't you know fulfill his duty as a kamikaze pilot, so that he has these constant setbacks of like you know, like he uh, he's too nervous to take the step forward, take the leap that he needs to. And this whole time in the movie, he's he's dealing with that in his personal life as he's like got this family that he's like too scared to embrace. And, you know, that continues on something I really found was interesting. And maybe it's because of this, you know, very traditional Western view that we have of like war movies and, and just the things that we generally experience. But this idea of a man returns home from war and it's not, you know, it's not that what he left behind but it's what he returns home to is destroyed like everyone he knows is dead his home his neighborhood has been raised and like that's something I had never really seen before this idea of like the place you return to is is not the place you left um, which I thought is a super cool concept and then when you throw in Godzilla as just this like all-out evil force that is you know terrorizing this man and taking things from him uh, again you know not to spoil too much but uh, it's it's, it's heart-wrenching. It's tough.
1: Yeah, it's emotional. And even like the side characters who he, he kind of bonds with as as kind of the story goes on, I thought were really strong. Shout out the doc, a uh, really great guy. But yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I would highly recommend you go check it out in theaters before it um, eventually leaves. And um, I mean, it's got to be my favorite Godzilla movie of all time. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So shout out to it. But that was all my rec, so I'll throw it over to you entirely, man.
0: I watched some really bad movies, Cody, and I don't know if you've seen The, uh, the Lazarus Effect. Have you ever checked that one out?
1: I have not, no.
0: <laughs> this is uh, an Olivia Wilde picture. It's also got Donald Glover in it as well. Um, basically, uh, Olivia Wilde is playing a scientist who, along with uh, Mark Duplass uh, and you know their assistants, Donald Glover and uh, Evan Peters, are trying to come up with a way to bring people uh, in the case of their science dogs back to life after they're dead so they bring this dog back to life um it, you know you know some weird stuff ensues blah, blah, blah. and then olivia Wilde dies oh shit so they have like in an accident in the lab so they turn to bring olivia Wilde back from the death uh back from the dead and okay. she basically has like superhuman lucy type powers um, and starts terrorizing the people this is like an 80 minute movie it's super tight and honestly feels cut to all hell it's not very good at all it's has uh, got a weird trauma storyline with Olivia Wilde as a child and they're thrown in um but it's 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 a weird one it's it's the cast
1: I think is the the best part for sure yeah it sounds like a good cast to be fair but yeah it doesn't sound like the most interesting uh <laughs> direction it's
0: so. an interesting concept but then they really trying to like they lean into like this half-assed religious thing of like you know is there an afterlife you know what she brought back from heaven or hell Like, you know just like all this stuff you know it's, it's just classic not you know you've got the scientist that mark duplass is playing that doesn't believe in it and olivia ryle she's a catholic and you know it's whatever Sounds fun. um bad movie movie i hated even more was the box with cameron diaz are you familiar with this one cody I don't think I've heard of that one. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it also has James Marsden. They play a couple, a husband and wife. And this is, I'm sure you saw the ads growing up as a child, 2009 movie, where um, a box arrives at a house. And if uh, there's a button inside and if they push the button, they receive $1 million in cash. But somebody somewhere in the world will die. It's an interesting concept and in that idea, but then like it delves into this. It's like a weird NSA alien conspiracy movie that has like all these weird twists and turns and the ending is just bullshit. And I really hated it. Um, some people do like this movie. I just found it to be uh, absolutely deplorable and uh, terrible filmmaking.
1: <laughs> I, that actually doesn't sound terrible. So I might check that out.
0: It's an interesting concept. Uh, Cameron Diaz has a very deep Southern accent and she walks with a limp in the movie. So she's doing a lot.
1: And I'm out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I did watch Prometheus. I, I actually did enjoy it for what it was. Uh, I think it's an interesting concept and I think it's a cool, you know, s- seeing the uh, the alien. How did it, how did it get formed? It's, mm. it's you know, there's some thoughts there that are cool. Ridley <laughs> Scott, he's
1: back. Yeah, he was back. I think it's pretty dumb, but I, I, I like the kind of conceptual behind it too.
0: Um, I've been on the, uh, the military industrial complex, uh, propaganda grind. I watched, uh, Guy Ritchie's the covenant, as I mentioned earlier with Jake Gyllenhaal, that movie wasn't bad. I think it has a a really interesting view of Afghanistan and the way it portrays it. There's a lot of like you know, like in media, I feel like it's like, oh yeah, it's all just desert, right? But this has a lot of really cool uh, mountain terrain, cool forestry, like just the the wide sweeping shots that it utilizes. And I don't know exactly where they actually shot it, but it was a, a different terrain, a different world than what I feel like we're used to seeing in like these Middle Eastern uh, war epics. It also is trying to shine a light on, you know, maybe oh, a way that the U.S. failed, not, you know, maybe a way that you, one of many ways the U.S. failed. Um, in terms of our interference over there and the way that kind of uh, translators were mistreated and, and not you know properly given the the things they were promised of them in many instances um, and then on top of that I watched Zero Dark Thirty and uh, The Hurt Locker as well uh, I was on my you know Catherine Bigelow grind there um, I think they're both decent I like The Hurt Locker better um, kind of being the more fictitious story you know not the the, the Zero Dark Thirty thing I think it it doesn't know what stance it wants to take at full times. It, With, especially with the torture stuff early in the beginning, I get why it shows it. It's being very honest about what happened, but I think it's uh, a little bit afraid to take too much of a stance. The Hurt Locker, you know, Jeremy Renner's an interesting uh, guy in the movie, uh, but I, I did enjoy it, it, it kind of, you know, the, the concept of like the guys going around looking for the explosives. I think that's more interesting than Girl Boss war uh, crime jessica chastain stuff
1: <laughs> i agree I, I really like the hurt locker a lot i think personally for me i think that's biglow's best but shout out to uh, guy pierce as well uh, <laughs> yeah RIP to that guy yeah <laughs> if it wasn't for him we would have never gotten jeremy <laughs> true true
0: um, and then the last thing that I wanted to hit on that I saw in the theaters, American Fiction, a new uh, yeah. favorite on the year, a movie I really enjoyed. Nice. Um, I know I've said it on the podcast before, where it's like it feels like we can't do satire as much anymore in movies. And really, what I meant is like it's hard to satirize uh, people on the right and like you know Donald Trump and and right wing conservative beliefs because we see so much of much of it in the media that is so ridiculous and out there that like you can't be as funny as the real thing. This is uh, not satirizing necessarily that uh, kind of aspects. It's really more satirical of like this uh, white, you know, it's similar to like, you know, get out this like white liberal view of what black people in black art should be in society. Um, I think Jeffrey Wright is really good in the movie. Sterling K. Brown is fantastic. One of my favorite supporting performances of the year, really powerful stuff from him. Um, the movie's funny, the movie's light, but it also deals with a, a really, you know, interesting subject matter, a really uh, important subject matter in, in modern culture and this idea of, you know, Black voices and Black artists and what it means to come from, from one of those places. And, I Court Jefferson, the filmmaker, uh, employs some interesting uh, directorial style and choices and in, in kind of the way the, the movie ends and is put together is, is super inventive for a guy who had never done a movie. And uh, I, I was a huge fan of American fiction. It's it's definitely uh not without its issues, but I think it's uh it's gonna be one that I'll love
1: to rewatch. Nice. That's definitely one on my list. Obviously, came up a bunch in some of our Oscar predictions and stuff. So yeah, that is cool. Shout out to uh, Jeffrey Wright, I think uh definitely an underrated actor. Absolutely. Well, Cody, um
0: I saw poor things as well. I will wait him, for, for for you to you know <laughs> before we get into it, but uh Mark Ruffalo doing some insane stuff. Uh, Will Dafoe <laughs> doing some and state stuff. Emma Stone, of course, doing uh, some incredible stuff. I don't know about the production design, Oscar. I don't know who takes it home, if it's Barbie or Poor Things. It's going to be a, a real battle.
1: Interesting. I think uh, I took Barbie in that category. But yeah, I mean, Poor Things has got to be one of my most anticipated of the year. So I'm excited. We'll definitely report back on that.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. I uh, hope everybody has a uh, wonderful holiday season. We'll be back in the uh, new year with uh, some more cap absolutely
1: stay happening in the new year peace. peace what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room
0: is now dumber for having listened to it